Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to the Kotki Ride Home for Thursday, April 29th, 2021. I'm Jackson Bird. People who accidentally became memes are using NFTs to regain a sense of ownership over their likenesses and make some pretty nice chunks of change. Scotland could become the first rewilding nation. And another shortage report, this time computer chips. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. Imagine if a candid photo your parents took of you as a toddler could end up making you half a million dollars 15 years later. That is what happened to University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill student Zoe Roth, but you may know her better as Disaster Girl. She's the little kid in that ubiquitous photo looking slyly at the camera while a house burns down in the background. By the way, in case you have any concerns over that photo, it turns out the house was a planned, controlled fire executed by the fire department. The whole neighborhood turned out to watch, including Roth and her father, who had recently bought a new digital camera, and, well, the rest is history. Roth is just the latest in a string of people who accidentally became memes, intentionally cashing in by selling their original memes as NFTs. NFTs are interesting from an artistic perspective because of how their authenticity and ownership is marked in the blockchain, and also enables the creator to be paid a cut anytime the NFT gets sold. Unfortunately, NFTs also appear to be pretty awful for the environment. Here's how The Verge explains it, quote, NFTs are largely bought and sold in places like Nifty Gateway and Super Rare that use the cryptocurrency Ethereum. Ethereum, like most major cryptocurrencies, is built on a system called proof of work that is incredibly energy hungry. There's a fee associated with making a transaction on Ethereum, and ironically, that fee is called gas. Proof-of-work acts as a sort of security system for cryptocurrencies like Ethereum and Bitcoin, since there's no third party like a bank that oversees transactions. To keep financial records secure, the system forces people to solve complex puzzles using energy-guzzling machines. Solving the puzzles lets users, or miners, that's M-I-N-E-R-S, add a new block of verified transactions to a decentralized ledger called the blockchain. The miner then gets new tokens or transaction fees as a reward. The process is incredibly energy inefficient on purpose. The idea is that using up inordinate amounts of electricity, and probably paying a lot for it, makes it less profitable for someone to muck up the ledger. As a result, Ethereum uses about as much electricity as the entire country of Libya. End quote. And I'll put a couple of good links to more reading on the environmental impact of NFTs in the show notes, but for now, back to the memes. It makes sense to be concerned about the greenhouse gases emitted by the mining of these NFTs, and I could also understand feeling like these people who became memes are just trying to cash in on their fame. But I do want to offer a slightly different take, which is that more than perhaps any other artists or people online, people who accidentally became memes have the most agency to regain in claiming ownership over their images. 
BuzzFeed has a whole series on their YouTube channel interviewing people who accidentally became memes. People like Roth, aka Disaster Girl, but also Bad Luck Brian, Success Kid, Blinking White Guy, and more. Some of them, like Roth, became memes over a decade ago as children, and are now all grown up. For others, it happened when they were adults, so they still get recognized even years and years later. They vary in how much they leaned into it and built a career off of it, like Lena, the overly attached girlfriend, and Brittany Broski, the kombucha girl. But despite how positive it was in some ways for some of them, like how Success Kid was able to use his weird internet fame to raise money for life-saving treatment for his dad, almost every episode also touches on the dark side of becoming a meme, and for some of them, it's really dark. Getting taken advantage of, finding themselves in unsavory situations, losing jobs, becoming depressed at the feeling that they don't control their own image or personhood anymore. Because beyond just the many ways their photos have been edited and passed around, a lot of them didn't even post the images online themselves to begin with. Ermagerd Goosebumps Girl, for example, took that photo as a joke with friends, and years later, some friend's brother found it and posted it online without her knowing. So getting to actually declare themselves as the creator of this meme and getting paid anytime the NFT version, at least, is sold is a level of agency most of them have never gotten to experience over their own likeness. Quoting the New York Times, In an interview, Ms. Roth said selling the meme was a way for her to take control over a situation that she has felt powerless over since she was in elementary school. Before making the decision to sell, Ms. Roth consulted Bad Luck Brian himself, his real name is Kyle Craven, and Lainey Greiner, the mother of Success Kid. It's the only thing that memes can do to take control, Ms. Roth recalled Mr. Craven telling her, end quote. And like I said, Roth is not alone in selling her meme, quoting Wired UK, with some pound-to-dollar conversions done on my part, the auction returns so far have ranged from very nice to have to totally life-changing. Lena Morris, the overly attached girlfriend, landed 200 Ether in cryptocurrency, equivalent to around $550,000 from her auction on April 4th. Bad Luck Brian, or Kyle Craven, finally saw his fortunes change when he raked in nearly $48,000 worth of crypto. Chris Crocker's Britney NFT took home a similar amount. Scumbag Steve nabbed close to $70,000. They're not all rolling in it. Irma Gerd Girl scored around $4,000. Ridiculously Photogenic Guy is awaiting a first bid. End quote. As of recording, Ridiculously Photogenic Guy's NFT is at just over $9,000. And it's not exactly a coincidence that they're all getting in on the NFT game. Many of them share a meme manager named Ben Lashes, and he seems to really believe in the NFT game. He tends to take a pretty modern art kind of perspective about memes in general, but even he noted to Wired UK that it's a lot harder for human memes to make money versus other memes like his former client Grumpy Cat, whose face was plastered all over merch and turned into a movie. I personally will probably always feel a little conflicted about NFTs, but I am pretty happy anytime decent people can get a little money to help them out. Because it's not like any of these folks are rolling in it. They all cited completely normal plans for their influx of cash, which matches their pretty normal lives. Quoting again from Wired, David DeVore Jr., a.k.a. David After Dentist, is studying computer science, not dentistry, at the University of Florida. Roth is at University 2, studying international relations in Chinese. Craven runs a construction company in Ohio. Ridiculously photogenic Zeddy Little runs a cocktail bar in Brooklyn. Clarinet Boy, who's 48 and goes by BJ, lives and works in Dallas, Texas as a mental health practitioner. 
He used to be a primary school teacher, which he says led to some slightly awkward interactions when students found out about his meme fame. Their plans for any NFT earnings reflect their modest lives. Roth plans to put any money she makes from her auction towards paying off her university debts, maybe upgrading her car, and giving her parents some cash towards fixing up their home in North Carolina. Craven is going to keep the money in crypto and make a few NFT investments of his own. Little says he'll take himself out for a beer if his NFT makes him a few bucks. End quote. And now that she has earned more than expected, Roth says she'll also be giving a chunk to charity. She told the New York Times, quote, People who are in memes didn't really have a choice in it. The internet is big. Whether you're having a good experience or a bad experience, you kind of just have to make the most of it. End quote. Planting more trees and enacting various carbon offset schemes will not be enough to make a significant dent in the climate crisis, especially when it comes to trying to restore the biodiversity of the wildlife that we've lost, two-thirds of which worldwide have been lost over the last 50 years. That's why some are advocating for something called rewilding. Quoting Euronews, The theory goes that by giving nature a little push and then stepping back, we can put a stop to the incredible loss of biodiversity and worsening climate crisis. A classic example of the success of rewilding can be found in Yellowstone National Park in the U.S. When wolves were hunted to near extinction at the start of the 20th century, their prey multiplied. Elk took over, and their exploding numbers overgrazed the land. It prevented trees like aspen and willow from reaching maturity. That, in turn, meant songbirds lost their habitat and beavers no longer had materials with which to build their dams. Riverbanks started to erode and water temperatures rose without the natural shade of the trees. The loss of Yellowstone's wolves had a cascade effect on the park's entire ecosystem. Then, in 1995, 14 wolves were captured in Jasper National Park, Canada, and transported across the border by wildlife officials. They were acclimated to their new surroundings, and then released into the park to replace those lost in the preceding centuries. Within 20 years, their numbers had boomed, and renewed presence of this apex predator had started to bring balance back to Yellowstone. Now, the reintroduction is considered a model for how seemingly small steps like these can help to heal the natural environments we've ravaged. End quote. Could this work in other places, like, say, across a whole nation and not just a park? That's the hope of the Scottish Rewilding Alliance, or SWA, who've put together a list of commitments they're urging politicians to agree to ahead of the Scottish parliamentary elections next month. The commitments include rewilding 30% of public land, introducing a plan to control deer populations, which would allow land to recover from overgrazing, reintroducing the Eurasian lynx and rehoming beavers, prohibiting dredging and trawling in established coastal zones, and creating a community fund to support rewilding in towns and cities. Now, while it remains to be seen how many politicians will back the plan or if any of it could ever get off the ground, SWA did conduct a poll of Scotland last year and found that 75% of respondents were in favor of rewilding. There's obvious bias in that poll, of course, but that's still a pretty huge figure. Now, apart from budgeting for these initiatives and perhaps disrupting various industries, another concern is that reintroducing apex predators like the Eurasian lynx could do more harm than good. So we will see what is to come, but if SWA has their way, Scotland will become the world's first rewilding nation, and perhaps set the bar for other nations to follow. (laughs) 
time for another installment of the Shortage Report. So, you may have heard about the worldwide chip shortage affecting the auto industry. Well, now it is finally coming for our computers. So basically, what happened is your run-of-the-mill supply-not-meeting-demand pandemic shortage was exacerbated by a fire at a Japanese semiconductor manufacturing plant back in March, as well as the severe weather in Texas back in February. Major auto manufacturers around the world are halting production, cutting hours, and expecting sizable losses in predicted profits for the year. But now, the shortage has hit other consumer goods, namely iPads and MacBooks. Quoting NPR, Apple warns it can't make enough iPads and Macs to keep up with demand, thanks to the global shortage in semiconductors that has already disrupted production at almost every major car company, from Ford to Volkswagen. Luca Maestri, Apple's chief financial officer, said late Wednesday that the lack of supply will cut into sales of both these products and lop off between $3 billion to $4 billion of its revenue in the next three months. Computer chip manufacturing requires significant lead time, with much of the world's supply coming from a handful of companies. And during the pandemic, demand for electronics such as laptops and tablets has soared as so much of life went online. End quote. And that demand part is important there, because yes, creating enough electronics to meet demand is going to be tough this year. But the demand has been so high for laptops and cars since the pandemic began that most of these companies are seeing record profits anyways. Maestri told investors this week, quote, The last three quarters of Mac have been the best three quarters ever in the history of the product. End quote. And while major car companies are predicting billions in forfeited profits, they're still reporting strong quarters because the low supply is pushing up the price of cars. Even with Taiwan doing what it can to boost production of chips, the shortage and delayed recovery are likely to go on for quite a while. Nokia's CEO thinks it might even drag on for a year or two. So buyer beware of possible price hikes in the near future. So AV Club's got a long interview with the folks responsible for the iconic spilled chili scene from the U.S. version of The Office. You know, the one where Kevin is really excited to share his special chili that he makes once a year for the whole office, but when he brings it in, he spills about 50 pounds of chili everywhere. It's comedy gold. So the AV Club spoke to writers and directors Brent Forster, Anthony Q. Farrell, Aaron Shore, Rusty Mahmood, as well as actor Brian Baumgartner, who played Kevin, about what it took to pull off that scene. And it's a pretty fascinating read, so I recommend it, but I am mostly mentioning it because that interview led me to something I completely missed from earlier this year. For National Chili Day in February, Brian Baumgartner partnered with Bush's Beans on a video campaign for a fake, I think, device called Brian's No Spilly Chili Pot. It's a pretty funny video as far as sponsored content goes, and I'm mostly just amused that that scene has become such a classic that the actor is literally teaming up with bean companies. Links to watch the video and read the interview are in the show notes. And if you're super into The Office and want even more, Baumgartner hosts his own podcast called The Office Deep Dive, in which he interviews various cast and crew about their memories of the show, which is a separate podcast from Jenna Fisher and Angela Kinsey's Office Rewatch podcast, Office Ladies. So, sounds like we'll never run out of The Office content, but I'm not necessarily complaining. That is it for this week. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotki.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again on Monday.